1: Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.
2: Now at your service, it's the KMOX Dollars and Cents Show with Dave Silence from the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Howdy
0: howdy howdy welcome back everybody indeed you are listening to the second hour of today's edition of the dollars and cents show my name is Dave Simon certified financial planner head of these Simons and Cordes wealth management team located within the friendly confines of UBS financial services well you getting a little nervous yet I'm talking about the football game may I? probably not I mean, we don't, do we have even a dog in the fight? I, I, I do in a way I talked about the fact that we are a big chiefs family. So yeah, I getting a little bit nervous about it, but what a great sports weekend, by the way, for those of us who do love our local sports teams. And I talk about college as well. Uh, college basketball, man, I was watching live that Mizzou game, that last second bomb of a shot near half court that, um, uh, Mizzou had yesterday taking down sixth-ranked Tennessee. Man, was that fun. It's been a fun year for Mizzou. Illinois took down a ranked team. in Rutgers, I-, I think overall they're a little disappointed that the the season has not gone quite as well as maybe they had hoped. It's still a solid season nonetheless. Our St. Louis Blues, man, have they've been tough to watch much of the year. And last night's game was an encapsulation of all of that and then some. Against a supposedly inferior team. I don't know anymore with these Blues, but Arizona comes in and takes a two to nothing lead. You're like, oh, here we go again. We can't win at home. We score five goals in a row. It's almost midway through the uh, third of the way through the third period. We're up five to two, and then they score three goals, Arizona. Fortunately, we did win in overtime, but man, oh, man, what a team. Uh, And then, of course, spring training. Just around the corner. Can't wait. Uh, you would think this was a sports show, but it's not. Even though it is Super Bowl Sunday, so we do have to sort of tie in, I guess, some sports-related themes with, uh, with the financial markets. All right, folks. Um, this show has never been afraid to just bring out the facts of things and to tell you that things look really good or things don't look so good. And it's not always my opinion. I will bring in other voices. And let them speak through me of what these folks have to say. And I'm about to do that right now. And I guess I could say um, the, or, or ask the question Are you feeling nervous? Not just about the football game, but probably if you're listening to this show, you want to tie in more about the direction of the market here for 2023 after a brutal 22. We all have hope, right? We, we hope things get better. But as the old saying goes, hope is not a strategy. Well, that takes us to someone uh, who I know very well, not on a personal level, just strictly professional, because he was the chief economist at my prior firm, the firm that shall not be named. Uh, many of you long-term listeners know and remember that phrase. And for those of you who are somewhat new to the show... My prior firm from many years ago would not ever allow me to mention their name when I was hosting the show, which didn't make sense to anybody, including folks within the firm. It's like it's free advertising, but I don't know. Every company is different with their legal claims and concerns. And so they never would allow me to say the firm I work for. And it was a big, well, at, at times the biggest brokerage house in the country. But they just didn't want me to mention it. So when I left, for other reasons I won't get into, professional reasons, when I left about 10 years ago, I thought, well, why would I mention their name now? Why would I give them any free publicity now when they didn't want it when I worked for them? So therefore, when I occasionally still talk about this company from a professional level, I just say um, this is regarding to the firm that shall not be named. Well, this chief economist who also worked there left even before I did. Um, I think he's been gone, my goodness, 13, 14 years now. David Rosenberg is his name, and he is the uh, president of a company that bears his name. It's Toronto-based. He is Canadian, David Rosenberg, uh, out of Toronto. And it's Rosenberg Research and Associates. Now, let me tell you something, my friends. You ask anybody on Wall Street who worked for some big financial institution on the brokerage side of things, um, they know who David Rosenberg is. They read his stuff. It's as deep as anything that you'll find. And I get a lot of great nuggets by reading through Rosenberg's stuff. It is... It's very academic, so it's typically not for the average investor. It can also be very pointed and even at times political. But when you get through all of that, you get to some pretty good information and it challenges you. And that, my friends, is what I always look for. I never want to be so convinced of my opinion of where the markets are going. I want somebody who I respect to say, well, Dave, I I think you might be missing something. Let me provide this alternative opinion. Oh, wow. Okay. That does push back. I'm glad you told me. And Rosenberg does that for me a lot. Well, he's doing that for a lot of folks who would like to be bullish. And David Rosenberg has um, been bearish for some time. Wrongly so in 2019, 20, 21. He was bearish through all of those years he's not changed some call him a meg or a perma bear uh he is bearish most of the time but he turned bullish after the great recession a year too late i think he turned bullish around 2010 or 11 i mean it, the market had already moved up quite a bit and then he said okay it's over and a lot of his adherents were really mad at him people who are always negative you know those negative Nellies that we all know in our personal lives. There are a lot of investors like that, always looking for the bottom to fall out. So they were mad when Rosenberg turned bullish, but he was right to do so. Well, he's been bearish for some time. And and I just think it's time to maybe share some of his opinions on his latest writing. And and what I did is instead of looking at his research that, that we buy, that we pay for, and it gets a little too in the weeds, He presents a little bit more of a 30,000-foot view in an interview that he just had with MarketWatch.com. I I consider MarketWatch one of the very best general information websites for financial stuff. There are some that are more specific, some that are more, um, I think, connected to more sophisticated investors. But I still read MarketWatch just for generalized financial information. I think they're, they're very good at what they do. So he does this interview and i'm going to quote from him and scare half you a lot of you have to death here but we'll dig into some of this so quote rosenberg in his interview the recession is just now starting the market stock market bottoms typically in the sixth or seventh inning of a recession deep into the fed easing cycle fortunately for investors the feds pause and perhaps cuts will come by the end of 2023. Unfortunately, until then the market could drop 30% from its current level. And he says, quote, you're left with an S&P bottoming out somewhere close to 2900. And that's about 30% below where we are. So here's Rosenberg, who says, "Yeah, you didn't like what uh, 2022 had to offer?" It finished down about 18%, but at it its, its very low, the S&P was down about 25%. Well, you, haven't, you ain't seen nothing yet, because we got some problems economically, and we're not maybe officially in a recession now, but, but we are, but we're entering into it, and government data is always backward-looking, so the government might not even announce we're in a recession until many months from now, maybe even the summer. This is Rosenberg. This isn't necessarily Dave Simon's opinions here. This is David Rosenberg, the chief economist of his own firm, formerly of a, of, of a big well-known firm before that, well-known in the industry. So I'm going to take a break here and then we'll get into the, the meat of this. But that sort of sets the stage of this somewhat influential opinion, a guy who admittedly is more bearish than bullish in his career. So we do have to keep that in mind. It's not like we've got a guy who's been rightfully bullish for a long time and is only now starting to get negative. He's always had that little bit of a color to his prism when he looks at the market. And that has been, uh, it seems like it's gotten even deeper here. So we'll look at why he thinks the market still has a long way to go. And are there places in the market he would even still invest today? There are. And I think it's worth exploring that too. So stay with us. You're listening to the dollars and cents show here on cable.
1: How powerful is Cox internet powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix and Rhode Island jam. Like you're all in the same garage.
2: It's that time of year. Cash the Ticket, Jim Costa with Mike Valeni. We shift the focus from football to college hoops, getting us ready for the tournament where we're going to break down all the matchups and have an eye on some future plays too. Search Cash the Ticket on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. He's back, Dave Simons, and more of Dollars and Cents on the Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. KMOX.
0: Welcome back, my friends. It's 420 in St. Louis. Dave Simons with a special remote edition. Still live, still live, but uh, not able to make it downtown. But thanks to the advent of technological advances, we can now occasionally, if we have to, host shows from our office. May not sound exactly as perfect, but, you know, as I like to tell people, just focus on the information. Um, if maybe the sound doesn't quite have that same perfective quality that you might get in a real radio studio. Okay, anyway, back back at it. Um, I have been talking about David Rosenberg, chief economist at his own firm out of Toronto, well-known within the industry, does tend to err on the bearish side. So we have to remember that in context as I go through some of his comments. But let's continue. Uh, before I do that, let me just, again, repeat I've already talked about. He believes that the stock market could fall as much as an additional 30% from here, which is even worse what we saw in 2022. And he says it's all about an economy that's going to roll over. And there's not much the Fed can do about it. They've lost it. And it's inevitable. Um, But he says, hey, and we'll get to this, but there's always a bottom and it's going to create some generational buying opportunities. Now I don't share that opinion and I'm going to explore that a little bit more momentarily, but um, I'm not that bearish. Although I did say just last week, I think the market's gotten ahead of itself. Wouldn't surprise me to see a, a corrective cycle here for a little bit. And it certainly started this past week. So back to Rosenberg's words and we pick it up again with him talking about the fact that he believes we're entering into a recession right now the data won't become official until months from now but he believes it will look back and say it started in february and he says quote in a plain vanilla recession corporate earnings go down on average about 20 percent we've never had a recession where earnings were up at all the consensus is that we are going to see earnings expand in 2023 so there's a glaring anomaly We are being told this is a widely expected recession, and yet it's not reflected in earnings estimates, at least not yet. All right, let me end there, Uh, that part. He's exactly right, it's true. But earnings estimates, although they are still positive for the year, they've come way down and continue to come down, and they're barely above 0% now for many financial firms. And some now have actually turn their earnings to negative for the year. So it's not like earnings expectations are wildly optimistic like they might have been three to six months ago. But here's my biggest point about this as I push back a little bit. He didn't say this in the interview with MarketWatch, but I'm telling you, every research report he comes out with these days, he basically says, I guarantee it's inevitable. It's 100% bank on it. Mortgage the house. I'm paraphrasing now. I'm putting some words, but he's that adamant about it that we are into a recession. And if we're not today, we will be shortly. And he uses all this historical data to back it up. And the data is true. He's not fudging the numbers. However, what I would show to him is, but David, there is other data that shows we've never gone into a recession when these things have happened. And they're happening today when you have an unemployment report that has dropped down to 3.4% and more than 500,000 new jobs. And I know some of you think that you get into conspiratorial things, or you think these numbers are baked. Uh, I don't share those conspiracies, but let let me meet you halfway and say, okay, maybe it's a little overstated. Maybe it's really only 300,000. That's still a really strong number. You also, we talked about this before, inflation is still historically high, but going in the right direction, as I've always said, it's not the actual nominal number that you should look at with data. It's never an isolated number. To me, it's always the trend. The trend is your friend. So it's not good or bad. You don't look at a number and say that's good or it's bad. You look at it and say it's better or worse. So even if this number, inflation number, comes out Tuesday at 6.2%, which is the consensus estimate, that is not a good number historically. We know that. That is is high inflation, 6.2%. But it is a better number because it shows the continued trend line going down from the 9.1% peak inflation last June. David Rosenberg could turn out to be absolutely right on this. He really could, and we could still see a major bear market develop and a much deeper recession and earnings just crater. I am not about to say he's full of it, but what I am saying is this is where you, if you do your own investing and you do your own research, don't just stop at one opinion on the side because it confirms your belief, challenge yourself. If you are really bearish in everything that David Rosenberg says and you go, yep, I knew it, I knew it. That's why I should just be 100% in gold. Don't be afraid to go and seek out bullish opinions because they're going to show you some things that are also true that might bring you back more towards the center. And ultimately, for those of us who are long-term investors, we should never be out on the fringes from an investment standpoint. We should be a little closer to center. I know that gets into that sounds like I'm talking politics, and I'm not. I'm talking strictly between bulls and bears. And it's okay to slowly and and um, maybe go to one side or the other, but not to the extremes. And certainly do not allow that to reflect the makeup of your portfolio. All right. Uh, let me continue. He, he does say this is not going to be a replay of 2008. So if there's one good thing... Uh, that Rosenberg can tell us to maybe alleviate some of your fears. No, this is not the Great Recession again, more like a normal recession that's going to cause the market to go down quite a bit more. He thinks it will look more like the late 80s and early 90s. We did have a mild recession back then, um, and we had some issues in the financial service area, particularly the S&Ls, remember that? He doesn't think that banks are going to be in trouble, but he does say, look out for some financial companies that will really get hurt in an economic slowdown. And he specifically mentions credit cards and auto loans. Okay. That's his opinion again. So if you own stocks in that area, Dave Simons isn't telling you to do anything with it. David Rosenberg is saying, be very wary. So do your own research. And lastly, on this issue of david rosenberg and i think what a lot of you would really like to know more than anything so what do you do where do you put your money and i'm quoting rosenberg directly maybe this surprises many of you quote my strongest conviction is the 30-year treasury bond wow remember the 30-year t-bond went down more than 30 percent last year it's worst in history Why does Rosenberg like that? Well, number one, if you're a contrarian, you always are intrigued by the things that get hit, right? He says, quote, the Fed is going to cut rates and you'll get the biggest decline in yields at the short end. But in terms of bond prices and the total return potential, it's the long end of the curve. Bond yields always go down in a recession and inflation is going to fall more quickly than is generally anticipated. I'll stop there. Isn't that interesting? He's not bearish because he thinks inflation is going to go out of control. No, it's the complete opposite. It's too late. He believes that the economy is already on a crash course with a recession and the Fed can't stop it. And inflation is going to crater, which is helpful in some areas. Um, Probably international investing, by the way. I, I personally, our little corner of the world, we are much more bullish on international equities. Really the most bullish we've been in 10 years. But if what he's saying is true, you know, the dollar is going to get hit in this scenario. It will. And um, and you're going to see maybe that's going to help um, international. But I digress. Back to Rosenberg. So he's a big fan of the long end of the curve. For you newer investors, when yields go down on bonds, the value of those bonds that are already in circulation go up. So if he is right, you too want to be out on the longer end of the maturity scale. That's up to all of you. I make my personal opinion isn't quite that bearish again. And then, but but he's not only in bonds. He does tell people in terms of stock market, if you're going to be invested in stocks, he says this, invest the same way you're going to be living life in 2023, frugality. Buy companies that provide the goods and services that people need, not what they want so it's consumer staples not consumer cyclicals he also likes utilities and he likes healthcare, care which is always seen as a defensive area of the market he also mentions the fact that military budgets are rising in every part of the world which is true and he says that plays right into defense and aerospace stocks and then lastly food and what he specifies is food security whether it's the food producers, anything related to agriculture, he says, are areas that you need to be invested in. Strong balance sheets, earning visibility, solid dividend yields, and high dividend payout ratios. And that last line, I could not agree with him more. Nothing wrong with maintaining a bit of a defensive flavor to your portfolio we have for a while we have not really changed much of that here lately and we are focusing more on the solid boring blue chip companies with very little debt strong balance sheet good dividends man dividends right now mean everything that's where I break from Rosenberg though our base case is not some 30% drop certainly an S&P that falls below 3,000 but that does not prevent me from reading research from those of us I disagree with. All right. We'll be back with more. Stay with us. Now, back to Dollars and Cents with Dave Simons on KMOX. Welcome back, everybody. It's 435 in St. Louis, getting a little closer to that Super Bowl kickoff. Uh, take it easy out there. If, uh, if you're driving to some Super Bowl party and you might imbibe on a uh, adult beverage, please take it easy. And uh, have you seen that some states are actually uh, they've had bills in their legislature, state legislature, to make the next Monday after a Super Bowl a state holiday? <laughs> there's even a put now it's nothing has been passed and I can't imagine that something like that would be passed, but there's even been talk of making it a national holiday. And I read one where they would take president's day, which is, you know, it used to be like Washington's birthday or Lincoln's birthday. And they've kind of combined it all and just said, Oh, let's make it president's birthday um, day. And that's a, that's a federal holiday. Well, no one really cares about that. So uh, let's just make a super bowl. Yeah, I don't like that. I like the president's day where we, And take a day and kind of make note of of those who have come before us and served our country. But, you know, maybe they do the Super Bowl on a Saturday instead of a Sunday. Networks wouldn't like that, though. They know that they can get a much larger audience on uh, on Sunday evenings. But I digress. We've got some other things to attend to before I sign off at 5 o'clock. And let's leave the stock market, shall we, and the bearishness of the before mentioned David Rosenberg, and go over and talk about our homes. Yes, speaking of concern, speaking of bearishness out there, a lot of folks are talking about the possibility of home prices, some believe drop a little bit, others see collapsing. I have never wavered in my opinion, and it goes back a year. I haven't. We just talked about how even Rosenberg, who is bearish on stocks, says, but it's not going to be like 2008. So there's a silver lining to his um, less than stellar bullish opinion. When it comes to home prices, this is also not 2008. Not even close for one main and overriding reason, which I'll get to. But let me give you the recent data. And and by the way, I guess I I should tell you that, uh, as a repeat, what I've been saying for the past year is that I remain uh, bullish on the real estate market. We are seeing the inevitable return to normalcy. Return to normalcy may feel like there has been a decline overall to where home prices are really dropping below where they were. That is not happening Over basically 90% of the country. So here's the latest data. Single family existing home sale prices rose in the most recent uh, report from last week, rose 4% compared to a year ago in 89% of all metro areas that are measured. So that's um, how many... There's quite a few. How many of them? Are? 186. So 186 metro areas that um, are covered by the National Association of Realtors, or NAR. So a 4% rise from a year ago. Now, home price growth has definitely decelerated. This is can get into semantics, so hear me out here. The analogy would be like when when certain folks in Congress say, well, we've cut spending. No, no, you didn't. You had in the budget for a 10 percent increase. The bill that you just passed is for a 5 percent increase. You didn't cut anything. You're just reducing the rate of growth. Okay, we all know how that works. It happens all the time in politics. The same thing is happening with home price growth. Instead of seeing double-digit increases like we had been since the days of the pandemic, it's still growing in most of the country, but it's decelerating. It's that delta, that rate of change. Now, could we actually see across-the-board declines? Yes, a little bit, single digits. That, That, to me, is not a bear market for housing. What we are seeing and will see is a return to normalcy. So the days of you putting your house on the market and having a dozen offers the same day, 10 of them for over what you're even asking, and five of them in all cash deals, and I'm barely exaggerating, those days are are pretty much gone. Now, occasionally, I still hear a story like that here and there. It's still out there, but nothing like it was a year or two ago. So... If we go back into an environment where you put your house on the market, you've got a few people who come through a couple of weeks later. If you're fortunate enough, you'll get an offer. It's a little bit lower than what you wanted. You negotiate and you find that middle number and you sell your home. That's normal. And we're slowly getting back to that. That's not a bearish trend. That's a return to sanity. That's what's happening now. Are there declines? Yes. In 11% of the 186 metro areas, and virtually all of them are in areas with the most expensive housing and where the housing boom really took off. The top three declines, I should say, no, the, the top three most expensive areas in the country, all are in California. Number one, San Jose. That's Silicon Valley, folks. That's your tech haven out there. San Jose. The median home price right now is 1.58 million. That's median, that's in the middle. Can you imagine that? Prices there have declined 5.8% from a year ago. Number two, most expensive area in the country, not too far away from there, San Francisco. The median home price there is 1.23 million. Prices there have declined 6.1% from a year ago. That's the largest decline that I have found. And number three, and we'll stop there. Number three, most expensive area in the country, also in California, south of where we just talked about, San Jose, San Francisco, comes Anaheim, the Anaheim, Santa, Santa Ana, Irvine area. Median home price, $1.13 million. The average price there has dropped 1.6%. Other places that have seen a drop among the 10 most expensive real estate markets, also in California, the L.A. Long Beach area, home prices there have fallen from a year ago 1.3%. See, they're not crashing, but they are declining. And then the one non-California area, Boulder, Colorado, among the 10 most expensive real estate markets. They have seen a decrease in uh, the average home price from a year ago by exactly 2%. Now, why am I not more bearish on the overall housing market that we couldn't see some big major decline that even is half as much as 2008? Econ 101, supply and demand. Back in 2004, He he actually even started 03, 03, 04, 05, into six, building, building, building all over the place. I remember going down to Scottsdale, Arizona at that time, and it was a cacophony of hammering and sawing and truck driving and I I've never seen anything like it it was just building everywhere this was getting to the peak of the housing boom nationally even back home in St. Louis housing starts going up everywhere supply was running rampant people without income were getting mortgages people who were were able to extend themselves we we have revisited this ad nauseum but we have seen nothing like that this time so when things started to inevitably turn in the housing market, uh uh-oh, the curtain had been pulled back. And now we had tens of millions of new homes that were sitting empty. And a lot of construction just stopped with some homes being half built and companies just went away. There are, in fact, even in St. Louis, construction uh, companies and real estate companies that went out of business. Too much greed this time around we have a lack of supply that has been well documented so with supply and demand with really low supply that is still an after effect of the great recession and huge demand that was caused by all kinds of pandemic related issues you had this huge gap and there's why you had this unprecedented demand for homes homes that didn't exist So you saw this double-digit increase, supply and demand, supply and demand, working as always, beautifully so. Well, now, supply is still low. It still is low. But the equilibrium has started to even out a little bit more. As demand has lessened, supply has come up a little bit. But we've also learned that there was a, a little bit of a pause with a lot of these publicly traded uh, building construction companies because of the fear of a recession. So they pulled back the amount of supply that was coming to market has starting to come back down again. So we're still not back down to where we need to be with supply and demand. So folks, that's why I am not overly bearish on the housing market. And it all comes down to that last thing I'll leave you with this. And this is not a buy seller uh, whole recommendation on housing stocks, but go look at some publicly traded <clears throat> housing stocks. Notice how they were cratering and, Last year in 22, like much of the rest of the market, but big time rebound since their bottom. Because I think a lot of investors realize, oh, we are not necessarily going into 2008. Yeah, I think we overdid the selling here. So that's telling you something. That's my take on the housing industry. A little bit of a slowdown, return to normalcy, but not anything like a crash and certainly not like 2008. We'll be back to close out this edition of the Dollars and Cents Show after this commercial break.
2: Hang on now, back to Dave Simons at Dollars and Cents on the voice of St. Louis, KMOX.
0: Welcome back, everybody. As we close out this edition of the Dollars and Cents Show, Dave Simons along with you. It is 10 minutes until 5 o'clock. As a lot of us on the football side of things get ready for the kickoff here um, in a few moments or so. Hey, um, I don't know what I'm going to be on next. Don't have anything scheduled, certainly not next week. Don't know when that might be. So if you would like to know and you might have heard me mention the weekly commentary a few minutes ago, you can certainly sign up for it. Uh, As I always like to say, because these days we don't like to be spammed, we don't like to be sold something that we think we're getting um, uh, to benefit us in some way. And what somebody's really trying to do is sell you something. I've been writing this commentary for now 22, 23 years. I still don't know who's on it. It's a blind carbon copy, it's placed on an email template. I write the commentary, it has to be approved by our compliance department, and then it is sent out to everybody who has signed up for it anonymously. And you will never, ever receive a single email from me, UBS, or anything, except for the commentary. And then you do with that information what you want, but it's kind of a written, condensed version of this dollars and cents show. No no specific stock ideas or anything like that, but... Um, just general in nature, how we see the markets in our little corner of the world or so. So if you would like to sign up, you can just email my email address at UBS, which is David Period Simons. That's David.simons S-I-M-O-N-S at UBS, U B as in boy, s as and Sam.com. You don't have to write anything in the body of the email, just in the subject line. Simply put, sign me up for your commentary. Add me to your email list, however you want to describe it, and you are in for the next one on Friday. I also update people when I'm going to be on the show next, so you'll know. Okay, quickly, in our few remaining minutes here, um, I had mentioned that I like to read Market Watch, and sometimes they have some really good questions that people will write in, almost like a kind of a Dear Abby, but for financial websites. And this woman talks about the fact that her husband is 60, which is interesting because that's uh, yours truly's age. So I can certainly relate to that. And the husband wants to retire in five years. And she has heard that there is this strategy, if you will, a philosophy where you look at your age and you subtract that age from a hundred and whatever is left, that's how much you should have in the stock market. So in this case, As she correctly notes, well, since my husband's 60, this age-old strategy says we should have 40% in stocks. Yeah, it sounds about right by us. But we just hired a financial advisor who says that's too conservative and suggests we have 75% of our money in stocks. We then talked to two other advisors, and they said yes, they also agree with an aggressive portfolio like that. Who is right? Thanks and signed off Confused in Arizona, in Virginia. So the person doing the MarketWatch website says, Dear Confused in Virginia, I told you it's like Dear Abby. I'll start off by saying, no, your financial planner is not crazy. There are thousands of ways to create a retirement portfolio and many rules of thumb that are just that, rules of thumb. The strategy you saw in an article about subtracting your age from 100 is one of them, if you went with that, then yes, quite honestly, that does sound a bit low. I can't speak to this woman's own personal situation and her husband because maybe it's not low for them. Maybe it's way too low. This, But I will tell you this. I have a major problem with one glove fits all strategies. And this is one of the more famous ones. It's the old subtract your age from 100, and that should be kind of a starting point for how much you should have in equities. My friends, I've had clients, and uh, without going into a lot of personal detail, but uh, well into their 80s who are among my most equity-heavy investors. Now, it's not something that I necessarily recommended to them right off the bat. However, they don't need the money. In fact, the only money they ever take out is the stuff that they're required to through their required minimum distribution or RMD. And many of them will say, "I don't even need it. I'm going to give it away to charity, so I don't have to pay tax on it." As you know, you can do that uh, if you're RMD age. Then I've got others who are on the younger scale, um, who are uh, some of my more conservative investors because it fits their risk profile, and their goals are much more. Um, Uh, low-key is maybe not the right word, but you know where I'm going with it. They just don't have goals that require much more than a 3 or 4% return and they don't want to take the risk. I have a fiduciary responsibility as a CFP. And the last thing that I would ever do is pull up some one-glove-fits-all strategy and and say, look, you're 50 years old, so you should have 50% in stocks. Maybe you should, but it has nothing to do with that strategy. It has to do with your reasonable assumption and what we need to get you for for your retirement um what are you what is the purpose of this money i'd love to ask that question what is its purpose it does have utility and things with utility have purposes to them what do you want this money to do for you and how are we going to accomplish that so I know that a lot of you think about this. Well, this is my age and perhaps this is how much I should have in stocks. It's a great question to start with, but just know that your next door neighbor who might be the same age should probably have a different equity uh, allocation than you. And it doesn't mean that one is right and one is wrong. It means it's right for you. And the allocation is hopefully right for your next door neighbor. That's what you have to do to develop your financial plan, whether you do it with yourself or someone who can help you. All right, folks, thanks for joining me. Hopefully, we'll talk to you again in a few weeks. Enjoy the Super Bowl and enjoy the rest of your week.
1: How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test, intelligence data, fixed median download speeds, US Q3 2023.
2: We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids.